This is Beyond the Byte with Joe and Abe, a cybersecurity conversation. In each episode, we get to know someone and discuss their journey, how they got here, and what they learned along the way. Through these conversations, we at Greylog hope to better understand what it means to be a good citizen within our community and continue our evolution as cybersecurity solution providers. This conversation is sponsored by Greylog, an award-winning provider of SIM and log management solutions. I'm Randy, the producer of this podcast, and here are your hosts, Joe and Abe. Welcome to Beyond the Bite with Joe and Abe. I'm Joe. I'm Abe. Thanks for joining us. And I have Abe with me, as always. We were prepping for this call today in full transparency to everyone listening. Randy got us the notes for this at the same time that my lunch arrived today. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and I was looking through our guest's background and and saw mention of zero trust and some things like that and i had doordash lunch waiting for it to come and noticed that that my my driver did not pass the the authentication verification that they put out there at least he didn't appear to sandra was about a six foot four man (laughs) uh, (laughs) standing at my door Uh, he also did not leave the door leave the item at the door so yeah, I don't I don't know what that means. What I, that means I should have done, Abe, but I did take the food. I did eat it. <laughs> have you had like a really neck and neck quarter with any close? What do you call it, competitors? Like, do I need to be worried yeah. about this? Was this a a malicious DoorDash? <laughs> did you get courtesy of Splunk? <laughs> yeah, courtesy. yeah, my DoorDash was intercepted. <laughs> Sandra, are you okay out there? Is <laughs> yeah, it feels it feels like it could have been malicious in in intent. You can easily but... have the opposite though. So we had we, we had an in, well, we have an event, we have a CTF and we're giving away prizes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so one of the winners from one of them was it was a remote event and they won it and they were in France. And so I went on amazon.fr as you do and my grade school French got me by. But I I tried to ship them this the, the prize from Amazon and and it I, I had no idea that this was a thing. So instead of like a signature, like you would get at like UPS or Canada Post or something, mm-hmm. it, it texts you a DoorDash style code, like or like an Uber code. Oh. But but since I did this in France and I'm nowhere near France, I got that email at four in the morning and then proceeded to get five or six really worried phone calls from a delivery person. And I think whoever was oh, middle man. personing this also neglected to tell the person on the other end. So now they've got an Amazon. Hey, give me the security code. He's like, what security code? And like, he had no idea what the package was even coming. <laughs> so they're still they're yelling at each other. They probably both think the other one's a scam. And then they're calling me at, at three o'clock in the morning and I didn't give anyone code. So needless to say, take two of, uh, of the high security zero trust Amazon delivery where I'm just trying to buy someone something um, is, <laughs> is, is going on right now. And so they, everyone has the codes they need and they will get it on Thursday. So that's, <laughs> but <laughs> Should have got yeah, it a week it, ago. <laughs> it, it's interesting, like how much the uh, scamminess mm. of the world has become very prevalent. Yeah, <laughs> externally, yeah. right? And so now we're like implementing all these like controls in our physical world <laughs> to try and make sure that we're not getting scammed. Not that we weren't getting scammed before; we're just somehow more aware of it. Right? That's right. Yeah. Um, and it makes life a lot harder. I mean, it's still easier than getting scammed, I hope. But yeah, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. But yeah, I, th- yeah. I think we're in the right track. I think we're in the right track. I like a lot of what our yeah, guest like, has to say about this topic, too. So I agree. I find myself, even as a security professional, like being frustrated by the fact that Pizza Hut is asking me, is like sending me a text. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like, I understand. I fully get it. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. But. Man, when you like, I don't know why everything I have today is food and allergies. I literally just ate. Um, but when you want it, you just want it right then. And the more layers we put in front of it to uh, obstruct the goal of what we're trying to. That's right, and carry on the conversation of of you know risk model versus versus protections and controls, right? So my personal yeah. risk model for my twenty four seven access key to like the basement gym over there, why it enforces MFA. I'm, you know, like sometimes I just want to get my key code for the gym. Costco is another great one. You're the Costco, the oh, app, yeah. you know, it enforces the MFA. And then you're standing, you're that person at the line. Can I see your card, sir? You're like, hang on. Can I see your card, sir? Hold on. I had it up a second ago and now we're going to thumbprint and face scan. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, 
Costco feels like a bad place to get scammed, though. Like, I walk in there and I feel like I already get scammed. Like, I can't walk in there without spending $300. I just bought a kilogram of um, potato chips. That, like, I mean, really, like, what's the net gain here? And you realize that, like, the standard bag of potato chips is only, like, 12 ounces. Mm-hmm. And so a kilogram is somehow this, like, palate full. Yeah. <laughs> Halfway through three pounds of potato chips, it just tastes like sorrow and regret. Like, it's... <laughs> exactly exactly speaking of sorrow and regret we will not have any for our guest that's coming up here but we might have about how much i divulged about my eating habits in the previous section randy please take it away from me certainly will (laughs) introduce our guest today we're talking to ben coral ben is a 25-year veteran of the cybersecurity industry with a passion for protecting enterprise organizations he spent his career establishing security programs for companies of all types and sizes, from 500 to 50,000, and has held just about every technical security role from AV, firewall, SIM, and DLP management to security architect and CISO roles as well. Ben is currently the CISO at Zscaler. Ben Coral, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I like that introduction. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of sorrow and regret that is out there. But do not worry. We're going to get into plenty of that. Yeah, welcome, Ben. As a fellow resident of the Raleigh-Durham area, thank you uh, for coming on. Uh, I didn't know that until just a few minutes. Looking at the wall color, are you guys in the same room? <laughs> ben and I are secretly roommates. Yeah. Right? I didn't want to divulge that. Uh, <laughs> uh, we always start out with a with one question. It really goes against everything that our CEO wants me to ask in this podcast that is sponsored by them, given that given what we do for as a business. But it is, in your experience, why does Sim suck? <laughs> I mean, that whole premise that is, you know, assuming that that sim does suck. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe how, you know, Maybe how does the sim suck versus why, why, but sure. Uh, yeah. No, uh, it just coming across as, hey, single point of glass. And that's the thing that, you know, I'm never going to go to just one tool. And now you want me to trust that everything from all these other tools are being fed into this one tool. So I only have to log into this one. And never go log into the other 17 or 18 that are being fed in there as well. So it is a great holistic view of things that are going on in my environment, in my infrastructure. I can go there. I can you know, have my dashboards. I can ha- you know, use cases that are feeding these dashboards and stuff. So it's a great place to start. But don't tell me it's a single point of glass and that I never have to go anywhere else. That's just feeding a false sense of security or a false sense of goods as well. So if uh, I could train anybody when they're talking about Sims, it's stop with the single point of glass. It's not going to be the only tool I ever log into ever again. That's actually a real, that's a great point. Cause we, we call it internally. Whenever someone says single, single pane of glass, we call it the single glass of pain. Uh, and, <laughs> and it, it's great at, you know, like it, it's a great tool to bring data together and find those correlations across. But the idea that you're never going to have to log into your EDR ever again or or something like that is just insanity. (laughs) Wishful thinking. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I always find an effective Um, way to get people to stop using ridiculous phrases to give them an equally ridiculous acronym. So if you just start saying, hey, go log into the SPOG. Yeah, it it stops it (laughs) pretty quickly, right? Sorry, go on. There's a new term that I don't know, but I, <laughs> oh, I don't know what that term is. And I'm, I haven't logged into that this week, but uh, I was in it last week. And when I was in there, <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, that's awesome. So, switching gears away from our intro playful question, yeah, I want to dive into how you came to that opinion. <laughs> but where to walk us through how you got into security. I think everyone that's in security somehow fell into it in some way, shape or form, and yep. then uh, became obsessed with the roller coaster. Uh, <laughs> tell, tell us about your addiction story to the, uh, <laughs> to cybersecurity. Well, and that's the thing. Anybody who's been in security for a couple of decades, it, there wasn't an industry and it wasn't, Ooh, I want to work in security. And somebody comes and tells me now, Ooh, I want to work in cyber. 
I'm like, all right, tell me what excites you about cyber. Are you red team? Are you blue team? Are, are you offensive? Are you defensive? Do you want to be an analyst? None of that existed. And I like to say that when I, how I landed is I was a Unix admin and I, I worked on Banyan Vines and Banyan, <laughs> that's the, uh, another antiquated operating system that doesn't exist any longer, but I was the Unix admin. And so for me, when I landed my first security role, it's because I understood IP tables. And our entire security stack was access control list, IP tables, and desktop AV antivirus. That was it. And so I owned all three of those because I understood how to create an access control list on a router. I understood IP tables and the, the different ports and things like that because I understood that I was the most qualified for the job. And 20 years later, I've built a career in cybersecurity. I mean, it wasn't even called information security yet at that point, much less cyber. Wow. And, but again, I have now built a career off of that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I have horse, horrible memories of IP tables and trying to build my own firewall and oh, <laughs> things perfect. along those lines. I mean, I'm glad we're past that in some respects, but also... It was a much simpler time and no. things felt less doom and gloom than they do now. <laughs> no. the, the amount of times that I locked myself out of a system <laughs> and had to use out of band to reboot or had to wait till 8 a.m. when someone was going to be in an office to have them go and reboot or power cycle a system so you can get access to it again because <laughs> your change window, you mixed up the, the syntax and you locked yourself out. Yeah, I haven't done it in a while, but it's still smarted enough that I never want to go through that again. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. What pulled you off of the cyber practitioner track and into the CISO track? What made you decide you want to get beat up by the board and not just not just your colleagues? Uh, well, yes, be, beat up by the board, <laughs> one fight with the other executives day in and day out, uh, try to justify security. And I really think it, it came down to who's making these decisions and you sit there and I'd make a better decision if I did that and really wanted to understand why and look at that. Well, that was kind of stupid. Why in the world would, would we do things like that? So then it's like, okay, well, rather than letting others make the decisions, let me take this director role. Let me take this CISO role. Let me build a program. And then you quickly are humbled of, Oh, I'm making a lot of the same type of decisions because now I understand it's not your business leader, but your business unit that you're running is security. So you're operating the, the business of security, but you have to understand you're operating at, in the business. So I can't just shut down everything. And when I was 25 years old, it's like, just block it, just block, just shut it all down. That This is what we're going with. You know, similar to, you know, different people's use cases. And I like the controls that we have out there. My, my Uber codes, everything that you all were talking about earlier. Absolutely. <laughs> but if it gives the end users, our colleagues, a horrible user experience, they're going to figure out how not to use it, how to work around it. It's going to give me a horrible reputation. They're going to hate my team. And when I go to their team and say, Hey, we're rolling out this new thing. Or, hey, can you help me with this? They're going to be like, I hate this guy. So, <laughs> so they're not like, supportive of that. So I really moved there simply because I got so frustrated with the right. programs that others had put in place that I really naively thought I can do this better. And hopefully I have done it a little <laughs> bit better, but it, it really came down to and growing up in a military family, always being told what to do. Yeah, you know, at some point you're like, I'm tired of everybody telling me what to do. So there's probably some of that there as well. Of I now want to be the one making a little bit more, owning my career, making some more of these decisions, putting these programs together, and thinking that there's gotta be a better way of doing things. And that's one of the I've spent the last five or six years really trying to talk to other CISOs really talking to other practitioners of, I get it. This is what's gotten us here. Maybe one thing, but our industry continues to evolve. And that thing that, that got us here may not be what's going to take us forward as well. 
So I'm really starting to challenge that status quo of how do we build programs that are going to be resilient enough going into the future as well. So though all of that is a long way of saying how I, why and how I ended up moving into that more managerial supervisory role all the way up to the CISO role. When I was working at my first job out of college at a chemical manufacturing company, we affectionately called that desire to block everything, the no hammer (laughs) (laughs) and and security just waved around its no hammer. And no matter what the decision was, we just said no to it. Right. That was just part of it at the time. I am really interested in, you brought it up. So we're going to dive into it in this other side of your career where you're very obviously trying to be a thought leader of how to be a better CISO, how to run a better program, how to build how to build security architectures that actually allow people to use technology the way that they that it's meant to be used and not bending it to your will. Yep. What are those conversations like? How have those conversations evolved over the last 10 years? What yeah, I mean, let's just start there. Let's see where we go. So I, I like that because our programs traditionally used to be the office of no. The security departments where things go to die and innovation stops. So how do we how do we best enable the business? And then we started seeing all these different tools that started landing in the security team, even with the Sims, and gave me a lot of insight and visibility into what's going on inside our organization. And I, I started saying, if you're going to call us the office of no, and others are saying this as well, instead of being the office of NO, we want to be KWNO. Maybe office of go because we're moving so fast, uh, but also we're getting all this visibility. And if we're getting the visibility, let's go ahead and share that. Whether it be cyber asset management, whether it be the SIM, whether it be the different network logs that we're able to feed back to the network team and prove that it wasn't the firewall prove that it wasn't the, the security product or agent or something that we put out there. We're spending a lot of time proving it's not us. Are we sharing that information? Can we give those insights? And instead of me having to go do all that, give them access to the consoles as well. So they can go and determine that. And if you think it really is my product, prove that is my product before you engage my team, before you do things like that. The other thing that I'm doing is as we're going out there, I like to say we, we set guardrails. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you do it. And this really stems back to a manager that I had 10 plus years ago that really wanted everything to be done his way. And he and I just butted heads long enough that I had to sit there and say, do you want it done your way or do you want it done? And if the end result is done right, it's done well. And I got the results that you wanted. Do you care how I did it? Yeah. And he's like, no, no, actually I, I don't. The other way works just fine. So he and I had the, that, that epiphany there. And that is now why I say, yeah, I create guardrails and whether it's technical controls, administrative controls, whatever it is, I don't really care what you do or how you do it. If you're staying within those guardrails that are out there. And if you're going to deviate from the guardrails that, that we put in place, That's where exception policies and things like that are going to come in. So again, I have a policy. I I have something in place that you don't even have to engage me. And is it me being lazy? It's me being efficient. So don't even, don't, don't even have to come to me. You don't have to ask if it's staying within the guardrails that, that have been established as well. So I think that's how the security team, if we want to scale and if we want to change our reputation. That's some of the things that, that we're going to have to start adopting as well. That's an awesome answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot just a hair here. So I, I looked up what you were, what you've worked on and obviously you've come up and, and done a lot of really cool stuff, but I can see that you've really taken a focus at some points in sort of the auditing side, which I think is that's the building blocks of good process and good policy and is the auditing side. What I always find is people that had early success in auditing, as you did, I mean, you're the one who said 20 years ago, I'm, I'm not, we'll, we'll just call that early success in cyber auditing. And, and, and so when you came up from that, a lot of it was just, you're trying to improve things, you're trying to do things to suck less and, and make it a little better. 
Where were you heavily challenged on that? Where did you come in with a place where you're like, hey, I think this is probably the best way to do it. And somebody kind of stopped you dead in your tracks or you just were open to a much newer and more improved way. And basically, what were some of the hard lessons learned along the way from the auditing track? Because we don't hear that very often. It's basically what I'm Oh, asking. no, no. Well, and that's the thing. It's auditing compliance. But hey, at least auditing gets funded. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like, that's right. <laughs> but, but we're all aware that compliance doesn't equal secure. It, it truly doesn't. Just because, and a lot of the times, as you're going through and you're walk me through this process, show me what you're doing. Show me why you're doing it. And that, that black and white mindset of, well, this is what the checklist says. And you're, you've actually deviated a little bit and it's understanding what are some of the compensated controls? What is the heart or what's the intent of that, not, not control, but what's the intent of that rule or what's the intent of what we're actually going for? And are we meeting that? And really having to have that open mind of understanding that as well. I will say that early on in my days, I did vulnerability management and I would absolutely patch for patch's sake. There's a patch, there's a vulnerability there that I can apply this fix, then we better apply this fix. It's so CVSS, it's deemed as a medium. We've got 60 days in order to get this in place and it's been 74. Now I'm escalating to directors. Now I'm escalated. Forget. Yep. No, no. This is what our SLA was. And you've now deviated from all of that. There was no taking anything else into account. I was very black and white and I ruffled a lot of feathers <laughs> and, and really had to sit there and say, does this really matter? The so what factor of, is there even exploit code for this? Can it even be executed? Is this internally available? Is it even a, on a... Yeah. Is it a production system? Is it a lab system that all likelihood it's not going to be around in 30 days? So are we going to spend our resources to, to apply you know, patches that I took none of those things into account. It, it was right or it was wrong. It was black or white for me. And that was again, a very hard lesson to learn where I had to have a, an older mentor of mine, pull me aside. And he's like, you're going to burn yourself out. You're stressing yourself. You're doing all of this. You're spinning your wheels. You're not effective. And you're never going to move up in the ranks if you continue to treat your career like this. You're, you're going to frustrate people. You're going to have a reputation that you're not a, a collaborative person. But it really, he cared enough to give me that level of feedback that really opened my eye and he did it in a way that was not insulting, not you suck, man, and you're never going to be successful if you do this. <laughs> so yes, uh, yeah, I saw the value in that, it, the value in auditing. And I tell everybody this audit is a, an opportunity for us to improve. We're not here to point out the bad. We're not here to, we're here to promote the good. Absolutely. We're not looking for things and yeah. But just like with penetration testers, they always want to find something that they, they don't want to say, you all are amazing. We found nothing and we're walking away happy. Here's your letter of attestation. And we, we found nothing good. Of course, auditors, pen testers, that those sort of individuals, they're professionals too. And they're going to find something because they too have to show value that they did add some value there. So again, an audit. I see as every time I walk through it as an opportunity to improve. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, uh, so I find a lot of people, especially people, the more that I look up to, I find more and more of them often came in to their sort of leadership track with a really, like a really core set of beliefs, right? Like you came in there and this is the way to improve. And then the ones that turn into great leaders are usually the ones where it's just like, eh, hang on. Hang on, Marine. You don't need to take every hill. Take the right hills, right? And that's sounds like it sounds like you got that at, 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 at one moment or another. Yeah, that's super cool. So that's it's such a great um, growing and, and mentorship journey too, from both sides. And I imagine you're paying that forward to other people that are looking up to you. It, it, it's important as as security professionals as well to like remind ourselves that no business is in business for the sake of being secure. Mm -hmm. Right. Like no one makes money off of being secure. <laughs> yeah. We fall squarely in like the loss prevention category. Right. I've got a, a close friend who says businesses spend money for four reasons. It's uh, to make money, to 
protect themselves from costs, to avoid risk, and to keep someone out of jail, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and those tend to be that the cybersecurity tends to fit in the last two. That tends to be what they're there for. I had a question and I lost it. Wow, that was good. I could chase you down I'm with. Glad. I remember for a long time I worked at a city and a larger city. And with the exact same thing. And, and I remember I followed in the footsteps of a, of a heavy, no carrying security manager, no hammer carrying, swinging. I think he threw it a few times. It was like Thor <laughs> with a no hammer. But, but yeah, following him up, it was always, Hey, are you sure you're okay with this plan? I'm like, dude, nobody moves to this city because we have better encryption on our DNS. Like they move here because we have parks and firefighters and stuff, right? Like, it's, yeah, that, that's what we want. We don't want to, yeah, no, no, go, go, go build a park, man. Go build a park. <laughs> <laughs> I want to pivot away from the way that you got up to where you are and dive a little bit into what gets you excited about security. So what keeps you coming in every single day? And when we asked you what you wanted to talk about, I think you said, I'll talk about anything in security. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Specifically the ice cream bar at Sands events. That's uh, that's, right. that's, that's <laughs> yeah. hard. Yeah. Number one. Friday afternoons. Let's mm -hmm. go. Uh. <laughs> um, but what is it that excites you about security? And if you had to sum up your expertise in, in a couple of minutes, what would you say it is? I, I still don't know why people keep me around. That's the thing. I've been married for 24 years and I don't ask her why she keeps me around. I, I don't because then she might question that and be like, "Ooh, you add no value to my life, you know? <laughs> so, so at some point you don't question, you just go with the flow as well. But no, it really is trying to understand what's coming down the pipeline as well. And rather than, I, I've built programs for a long, long time. And I used to say, my, my thing was, I like to make, I take the chaos and build a new program and build, bring some order to, to all of that as well. And I enjoyed being that first CISO. Greenfield, you go in there with no program. You start putting some processes, some frameworks, you start hiring people in order to build a sustainable program. And that is what I've really thoroughly enjoyed doing as well. And then once you've got it built and you start to mature that, then it's time to turn it over to, to the more sustainer and somebody who can take that to that, that next level, take team of 25, 50 and build it up to 200 people and really build that, take that program to the next level. So I do like going in there early on, finding the, the chaos, finding a innovative ways of th this problem that's out there. And I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, I need two and a half million dollars in order to solve this problem. It's okay. Our budget's 250,000. So <laughs> how can we make this work? And what new innovative companies are out there that would love to partner with us to have a marquee customer? that they're going to give this to me for 25,000, essentially the cost of hosting the solution alone. I'm going to get, now I'm going to work with them. I'm going to partner with them. And can we solve this? Can we solve this very, very real problem? So I like to think that my ADHD kicks in and helps me to figure out innovative <laughs> or different ways of doing things that perhaps somebody else might not have thought of a way to do it. And, and then at, at the end, like, whoa, that actually worked. I'm shocked. But now it's like, okay, can we do this? Can, what else can we do? Uh, what other problems are, are out there that we can solve? So that's one of the things I like to do is take, it, take a different perspective of things. And we all come with our own perspectives. And that's why when you do bring people in, I'm not, I used to sit there and say that the members of my team, we were all you know, interchangeable. And you can take one of us and just slap the other one in there. And I, I used to brag about that. And now I'm like, oh my goodness, no, we should all complement each other. We should not be interchangeable. So every time I hire somebody, it's like, what, what else are you bringing to the party? And I've already got these skills. Great. You, you can do 50% uh, those skills. Are you bringing 50% net new though? And that's what I'm really trying to build when, when I'm building teams and programs and things like that as well. So what can we do differently that's going to move us ahead? I think that's an interesting, it, so you're like tapping into like the leadership nerd in me, 
that like how talking about building organizations and things. And we'll get back to security in a second, but like this, I was introduced to this idea of building a swarm rather than building a team. Hmm. And when you look at like bees and you look at wasps, they don't all have the same job, right? And in a swarm of bees, it's not everyone's job to sting you, right? It's people's job to try and chase you off, to corral you, to pull you in, right? Whatever, right? There's all these different jobs. And then there's jobs that people have to stay back at the hive and do things there. And so building a team, you're looking at building this swarm of how do I have all these complementing skill sets? And so it used to be the idea of, well, I need every person to have a great incident response background, right? Well, no, I need one. I need one person with a great incident response background. I need everyone else that can contribute to that process yeah. and be a part of it. But they don't need to be an expert, right? Let's let that person be an expert at what they do. And if we lose that person, we'll replace them with that skill set, right? And see what else they can bring. And I've never heard it referred to in a security space. And so I think it's really interesting, like applying it there, right? I didn't really learn about this until I got into the evil pre-sales engineering side of things <laughs> <laughs> and it's certainly how i build my team but i think it's a really interesting perspective of just how you approaching building a team from the ground up not looking at i just need doers i need thinkers i need contributors i need collaborators so to get back to security <laughs> for a moment here you're walking into an organization you're greenfield you know, there was a question that was circulating the other day on LinkedIn. That's what came first, the CISO or the breach? Uh, <laughs> and I'll let you answer that question in your experience in a second. But how do you approach those first few years of, hey, this is potentially a legacy, very flat, I like to call it M&M style network, right? Hard candy outside, yep. soft chocolatey inside. And how do you approach that? How do you even get the business to start? To give you the first two hundred fifty thousand, let alone <laughs> let alone the two point five million. Well, and, and that's the thing: you're coming in, and it, is it the chicken or the egg? Was it the CISO or the breach? And post breach, my favorite meme: you have uh, budget pre breach versus post breach budget. <laughs> and, but also, I like to see that if you look two years after that post breach, that budget's largely gone too. It, it didn't sustain either. You sit there and say, "How do I get that first? What are you relating it to? And are we talking business risk? And my last organization, the group risk management committee had 32 risks, 32. And cyber was one, one of 32. So if I want you to fund my project, that means 31 other risks are not being addressed with that dollar. So can I take that in? And is it really worth it? And this is where that quantification is going to come here as well. You, Talk to the four different ones of spending money. Businesses spending money, you said avoiding risk and of course, keeping us out of jail. Well, I, the four of us want to stay out of jail too, uh, but it, it really is going to come down to that bucket of avoiding risk. And can I articulate that or can I quantify that as well? If we're, are we spending $100,000 to have a million dollar reduction in risk? And what is that going to look like? And can I also paint the likelihood of if we don't spend this $100,000 now, what it, what's the likelihood of an adverse incident effect or that bad thing happening in the next 30, 60, 90 days? The likelihood over the next year of that bad thing occurring where we now have that million dollar incident because we didn't spend the $100,000. Is it imminent? Is it 30%? Can I use data? And that's what others are thinking. It's not what I feel. It's not what I think. This is based on what? And is it based on things that happened in my organization? Is it based on things that happened to those in my industry as well? And a lot of this is what's going to lead to CISOs being hired. And a lot of the organizations that don't have CISOs still, they're going to have a director. Uh, they may have a senior manager. They may have a director of security somebody who's still very much hands-on keyboards. And I'm not saying CISOs can't be uh, hands-on keyboard either, but that the ability to think, have a vision and have strategic vision as well is something that not every director of security is going to have out there as well. So a lot of times something bad did happen. Now we're finally going to hire the, the actual CISO. 
or it's what's leading us to this is I'm also seeing where board members, they're a board member of three or four different companies. Company A gets breached. Now they're pushing for the other two or three companies that are on the board of, mm -hmm. no, we need a CISO here too. Th this was painful enough over here. So, and because of this, and whether people believe it or not, your board of directors, they don't create your budget. They don't approve your budget. The security budget, they don't care about. They approve the budget, the whole bucket of money for operational right. expenses. So the board of directors is never going to say, oh yeah, here you go. Here's your, here's your 250,000 or two and a half million. They give that bucket to the C-level executives as a whole. Hey, allocate that, that budget to those 31, 32 different risks that are going to be out there as well. So a lot of that's going to, you know, come from, you know, that's how you go in there. That's how you sell it. How do you actually partner inside? And a lot of you talk leadership management and you're coming into a new organization, 30, 60, 90, which is, uh, I agree with the 30, spend 30 days of understanding the business. Where have we been? What, what are bad things that happened in the past and you know, that are going to um, help me and then talk to people. And this is, you know, 60 is probably going to, it's probably 30, 90, 180 or 30, 90, 365 is likely what it's going to be at larger organizations. So you go in there, understand, and now you start building your program. What's my roadmap? You've run a gap analysis to understand we don't even have security tools. And yeah, great. You can identify that, but what's it going to take? Understand where we're at, where do you even know where you want to go? And then of course, starting to implement some of these things as well. You may not even get that funding until next year. So it may be that that 90 days is probably a full year. And I also, if you look at the trends over the last couple of years, it used to be a CISO was anywhere from 18 to 24 months in tenure. We're now mm -hmm. starting to see that be two to three years. And I think it's because we're budgets are falling. We're able to actually be productive. It's mm -hmm. our program now. We're able to start implementing it and seeing the, the fruits of our labor too. So I think that's going to lead to, you know, longer longevity for those of the CISOs. 100%. 100%. You mentioned about quantifying your risk, right? Putting a dollar amount to it. What methodology are you utilizing in those early days to, to do that? I know Fair Institute has been like the predominant yep. one out there, but is that what you subscribe to? What, what, what are you utilizing? Fair. Yeah. Open fair and, and fair. It, it makes it so easy in order to do this, but you need to understand what you're plugging in there. And this is where going and talking to who are your stakeholders? You know, who are the key movers and shakers inside that organization to find out what do you do? What widget do you, do you sell a service? Do you create a, a product and what are the critical assets? Those are going to be the, the people you need to go and talk to so that when I am walking through my response time, what's my average you know, desktop person's hourly rate going to be? What's my average security person's hourly rate going to be and in a global economy? You know, mm -hmm. Is that $25 an hour? Is that $50 USD, $50 an hour? It's not always going to be that $100 an hour. We can right. sit there and say the average breach is going to be just shy of $5 million and look at the response costs. I, you're not paying your people the mandiant rates of $500 an hour, and that's not what you're going to do to be able to compute this. And if I take those numbers, because when I take and I compute and say a business email compromise is going to cost us $2.4 million. And I can show the graphs, I can show the high, the lows, the likelihoods and all of that, uh, because you're going to have to be able to break that down. What numbers did I use in order to compute this and likelihoods, all of those different types of things. And if I'm you know, using impossible numbers that my directors of finance don't agree with, then every, they're not going to trust me. So I want to give them all the information that I can. I want to show them the spreadsheets that I used in order to do this computational so that they will, we, all of us, we say we're, we're in the business of security. We're in the business of trust. I need them yeah. to trust me as well. So I'm being as transparent as possible, but also that even going in there, I, I like quantitative, but in the beginning, it's probably very much going to be qualitative 
and high, medium, low. Are all the highs the same? Are all the lows the same? No. So you're, you, you got to have other ways of breaking things down as well, especially when you're prioritizing projects and stuff. But I do like when you're finally able to mature enough in order to do some quantitative. Yeah, that's a, a your statement around we're in the business of trust, I think is, is something that doesn't get settled enough. I remember my first job out of school was asset management. <laughs> the most, the most exciting part of cybersecurity. And, um, and I remember going to our CIO at the time and telling him that I could save us $10 million if he would just do this thing, right? And our IT budget was a hundred million dollars. So it could save 10% of the budget just by getting this tool and doing this right. We're going to do that by saving on our Oracle licensing and our AutoCAD licensing and whatever, right? And I remember essentially just being ignored out of the room, right? Because that number was just so large yeah. and so insane. And and I, it's because I had trusted a vendor to tell me <laughs> what the number was going to be and didn't do my own homework. And at 22 years old, you think everyone everyone's on your side. But I think that, that we're in the business of trust. We can't, there's nothing that we can do if people don't trust us to that we're doing, taking the right steps to secure them. That that MFA text or token that we're going to text them is worthwhile right? <laughs> <laughs> no and, and that's the thing is we long have we always said trust but verify trust but verify and how, how are you verifying and what can you go back to and ask that vendor where what numbers are you coming from and and what is your intention here do you have an ulterior motive here as well yeah, their 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 ulterior motive was to sell me software. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got a couple for you to bring it in towards the end here. So first, I've heard both of you and Joe make a comment about uh, your ADD to get a goal achieved. So I'm really hoping to start seeing like LinkedIn posts or T-shirts or something talking about weapons grade ADD at this point. Oh yeah, but uh, uh, and then the other then one we're gonna talk after this. About yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a marketing, there's a marketing stick in there, and and then the other the other realization I had was Joe's swarm analogy. I actually really like the swarm analogy, but I do want to remind you that bees communicate through dance. So I am gonna poke my head into your next team summit on that one. <laughs> I can't believe you caught me. That's why we. That's why I have this. Yeah, I'm gonna poke my head into the. Yeah. Oh, you guys have the same background, so I'm wondering if Ben's got the. <laughs> but uh, actually, I, what I do want to do bring up was you've got a long running track record, and you brought up some really awesome examples here. But if I dove into some of your articles and stuff, you got a really good theme of a good security program is a simple security program. You've thrown a few that we could grab from, but just in our last moments here, what are some of your favorite examples or some of your, what's some of your playbook examples as a fresh CISO of things that are just industry-wide overly complicated that you're like, look, let's simple this down to just the base minimum or the most effective points and carry from there. What are some of your, what are some of the home runs you can hit out of that? It's already been stated a couple of times on here is MFA, mm -hmm. multi-factor programs are built on identity now. And who are you? What should you have access to? Should you still have access to that? Identity and access management is absolutely huge. And a lot of security teams don't even own it. Infrastructure owns it. And I don't want to own that. That's hard. <laughs> and it needs to integrate with all these different applications and APIs and all of that. We don't want that headache. And no, MFA, just enable it. And I've heard a lot of pushback of our users. Our users don't want MFA. And I'm like, your users, when they signed up for their Facebook account, when they signed up for Instagram, all of them and their banks, all of them required them to enable MFA. And none of them blinked. Mm -hmm. So why do you think they're going to push back here? Uh, well, uh, it's got to text to their phone or they got to put an app on their phone. And I'm like, but they're already downloading their email to the phone. So they're already having some corporate information that's on there. They're you know, likely, or you get that token and they can carry that token around on the key ring too. They, I like basic cyber hygiene and patching, applying patch, automatically applying patches. Adobe puts not a big case anymore, but simply allowing it to, to auto update as well. And just make it simple and not 
we're not going to sit here and say we need to take the second Saturday of every month and we need to make sure mm-hmm. everything, you know, simplify it, just make it work, things like that. But coming into new programs, and this is the one that generally gets me in trouble, is not everybody needs local admin rights. And email security and people clicking, phishing links, all those things, uh, you can defang a lot of that by removing local admin rights. Now, your developers, they need it, but there are ways of giving them access. But even if your developers are, if 10% need that, remove it from the 90. And you've already tackled a a problem that's out there and I'll address the 10% later. But if I can tackle 90% of a problem today, yes, please, uh, I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to sit there and say, I have to do 100% or do nothing. If I can address 75, 80, 90%, I'm going with that as well. So again, even when you're trying to keep it simple, and I love that the KISS method, I try to always follow that and keep it simple as possible. And do not allow a naysayer of, did you think about this? Did you think about that? And what about this one off? Don't allow that to you know, dissuade you from taking action today. And that's the thing is I err on the side or err on of taking immediate action and understand that just get started and uh, we need to have plans. And this is different personalities. I, I try to bring uh, project managers along who give me that structure as well, but take action today. What can I do today? That's going to move us forward. And what would that actually look like? And if we need to pause later, we can pause later, but at least we're going to be in a better spot tomorrow than we were today because of the actions that we took. That's awesome. And that thought-provoking advice right there is a fantastic way to get us to our next segment, which is, you almost just answered it. But the next thing we do after this is we say, from your experience, both the adventure to get here and what you've got now, what advice would you give to other vendors or practitioners, but I like leaning on vendors in the cybersecurity space today? Talk to people. Relate. Don't sell me. Do not engage a company that just went through a breach. Hey, you know about my product? This would talk to people, build network, be respectful of that person where they're at today and just be a human and forget about the logos that we're representing today. Sure. We, we all have a job to do and vendors have things that they need to sell because they, they've got families to feed too. And we all like to eat or most of us like to eat, but it's about that network. It's talking to people. It's being a good person and people buy from people. Yes, you, we buy from companies, but people are going to buy from people. And when I bought from you previously, did you deliver on that? And if so, when we're with different logos, I'm going to go back to you because I know you and back to that thing, we trade in trust. Mm -hmm. I trust you because you didn't do me wrong in the past as well. So think about the people, think about the person behind the deal, the impact as you're putting new controls in place. Think about the people that are going to be impacted by by that change as well. So we, we are relational beings. Talk to people, think about the impact of the things that we're doing. And at the end of the day, be a good person. That that. is good. That is the best, like the best, like advice that you could ever get as like a person carrying a quota mm-hmm. or like someone engaging with customers in any way these are people on the other side no one likes being approached by the used car salesman no one likes being told that the sky is gonna fall if you don't buy their product and everyone hates ambulance chasers right yeah. <laughs> <It's>, mm-hmm. <laughs> communicate with not at being the point yeah exactly. yeah there we go yeah 100 percent I re- that that was absolutely fantastic. We're going to turn it over to Randy for the best section <laughs> of the mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, he's going to communicate directly at you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, now it's time for the segment of the show that has been called both mildly entertaining and generally irrelevant, the lightning round. Uh, ben, I'm going to put uh, 90 seconds on the clock. Answer each question as quickly and concisely as possible because we will not be keeping score and cash prizes will not be awarded. Are you ready? No. (laughs) But we're going to go anyway. All right. (laughs) 
Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who? Star Trek. Name a common password people should never use. Password. Manhattan, Martini, or Margarita? Margarita. What is your favorite or least favorite acronym? Mm. That one, TLA. Three-letter <laughs> acronym. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Superpower? I, I, I guess influence. Power to better influence people. Ooh, I like cool. that. Uh, if you could work anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be? Location or company? Uh, uh, location. Yet? Yeah, location. Assuming somewhere tropical. Let's go. Nice. Uh, if you weren't in your current career, what other job or profession would you have chosen? I I always grew up thinking I was going to be a lawyer so I could help people. Uh, you know, I help people just in a different way now. Nice. What's a common misconception about cybersecurity? Uh, th that all we do is say no. Nice. Awesome. And that is lightning round. I'm glad you came awesome. in. I was going to start jumping in. How do you spell psoriasis? <laughs> Go. <laughs> Starts with a P. Yes. Yeah. Good enough for me. I'll take it. <laughs> well, Ben, we want to thank you so much for coming and being a part of our little podcast here. It's been a lot of fun getting to know you a little bit better. And uh, yeah, thank you for thanks to you. And do you have any, where, where can people find you? That's what I'm, that's the word I'm trying to look for. Oh, where can people find you? I love LinkedIn. Time? Yeah. I try to post on LinkedIn on a routine basis. So everything on LinkedIn. Yeah. I sit there and say that Zscaler's done a great thing of giving me a page with articles that I could post to links off of, but I still take all of those to, to LinkedIn as well. So LinkedIn is the, awesome. the preferred. Awesome. And if you are looking to connect with us, I don't know our socials, but they're there. <laughs> I actually wrote down some of them, so I'd be prepared for this episode. Of course, you can find this podcast where you can find all your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and various venues there. Just look for Beyond the Bite with Joe and Abe. If you also want to enjoy looking at our beautiful faces, you can find us on YouTube and aren't super active on the artist formerly known as Twitter. But we are there at B underscore bite underscore Joe underscore Abe. Went crazy with the underscores setting that one up. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Awesome.